Good evening, Redeemed Church Fellowship. Sorry about the technical difficulties this evening. We were uh, battling with audio tonight. Um, so tonight what we're going to do is we're going to begin with prayer and jump right into the Bible study beginning in Exodus chapter 8. So join me tonight uh, in a word of prayer before we jump into chapter 8. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for your love and grace. We pray and we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would have your Holy Spirit just continually, Father, be sovereign over our lives. Every decision, every choice, Lord God. Father, we lift up to you the marriages, Lord God, represented from Redeemed Church. I pray, Father, for those marriages, Lord God, that are, Father, struggling right now. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would just mend hearts, Lord, that you would just unite husbands and wives by your Holy Spirit. Lord God, we lift up to you, Jen Robles. I pray, Father, that you would just be with her, comfort her, heal her, Father. We pray for a miracle in her life, Lord God. We pray for the Robles family, that you would strengthen them, protect them, Father. Lord God, we give this night to you, Father. Lord God, I pray and ask, Father, that you would illuminate the text to us tonight. Father, may these words be straight from your kingdom, from your throne. May it be all of you and none of me. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles tonight, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 8 as we continue our study on the life of Moses. If you remember, we were viewing the account of Moses coming before Pharaoh on a mission that God had sent him to redeem the people Israel. And God has now begun to reveal himself to Pharaoh. Pharaoh has hardened his heart, and God has confirmed Pharaoh's position in this. Remember, we looked at the word for Pharaoh hardening his heart that stubborn rebellion. And then when God hardens Pharaoh's heart, he was confirming it. The literal translation means to confirm. And then God began to show his strong arm, his miracles to show Pharaoh that he was dealing now with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one true living God. As Moses and Aaron approached Pharaoh, they told him to let the people go so that they can go worship the Lord in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said no. And because of that, Moses and Aaron went out by the Nile River. Aaron stretched out his rod over the Nile, and the Nile was turned to blood. And then Pharaoh's magicians and soothsayers, they in like manner, try to perform this, this miracle. But all the blood throughout all the land of Egypt was turned to blood. Even the blood that was, the water that was in their pots and their homes was turned to blood. And we see God now is going to, in chapter 8, begin the second plagues. When you, we look at this, we see as the Lord is chastening the Egyptians, we see his mercy. You see, God could have just wiped the Egyptians out, but he didn't. He gave Pharaoh 10 chances to repent. 
After each plague, Pharaoh could have repented. He could have let the children of Israel go. And after every plague, Pharaoh will harden his heart. Now being the second plague, notice this pattern that it, Moses and Aaron first warn Pharaoh that a plague will come if he does not let the Israelites go. And then the third plague following it, there's no warning. So beginning with chapter 8, verse 1. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all your territory with frogs. So the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into your house, into your bedroom, on your bed, into the houses of your servants, on your people, into your ovens, and into your kneading bowls. And the frogs shall come up on you, on your people, and on all your servants. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your rod over the streams, over the rivers, and over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. So the second play, God here is redeeming Israel by smiting the Egyptians with frogs. Perhaps you've seen the latest movie portraying Moses. It was entitled Exodus, Gods and Kings. Christian Bale as Moses. Now, as entertaining as that movie was in the special effects, the movie really portrays this account with supernatural events seemingly to be caused more by natural events. And it reduces the miracles of the Bible to science. Some supernatural elements in this movie, but I want to point out that in the beginning of the Bible, when it says that God created the heavens and the earth, because I believe that statement, I have no problem believing any of the miracles that God performs in the Bible. You see, I stand firm in my belief that these were supernatural events, miracles occurring in Exodus. However, if God chose to have the rivers turn red due to some sort of biological occurrence, which then led the frogs to evacuate the river, leading to a chain of events causing lice and flies, boils, death to livestock. Either way, it's still God moving these things. And how would Moses every time be able to go to Pharaoh and say exactly what was going to happen, whether it was going to be frogs or lice? You see, Moses accurately predicted what was going to happen to the Egyptians. So no matter what, you can't escape God's hand in this account. And I have no problem believing that the God who created the heavens and earth can 
cause frogs to multiply in Egypt. In verse 7, And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. So now, whether these magicians who are now also showing Pharaoh, look, we can make the frogs come. Now, whether these magicians were using literal witchcraft or parlor tricks, Pharaoh may have been probably more pleased if the magicians just simply made the frogs disappear or made them go back to the water, but the magicians didn't do that. They just added more frogs. So Pharaoh has a small moment here of repentance and he agrees to let the Israelites go. That's what we just read in verse eight. In verse nine, and Moses said to Pharaoh, accept the honor of saying, when I shall intercede for you, for your servants and for your people to destroy the frogs from you and your houses that they may remain in the river only. So he said, tomorrow. And he said, let it be according to your word that you may know that there is no one like the Lord, our God. Now, at this point with Moses and Pharaoh, this interaction, Moses, we see him definitely as interceding on behalf of the Egyptians. He is Mediating, he is the one going before the Lord to intercede. You know, that is a great gift that we can do for our friends and family members, intercede on their behalf. Praying for them, praying for their salvation, as we should be, for our coworkers, our loved ones who are struggling May we be intercessors. But notice that Pharaoh's response when Moses asks him, when do you want me to intercede for you? He says, tomorrow. Not today. He wants to spend that one more night with the frogs. There was a pastor, John Corson, who had a a whole study entitled One More Night with the Frogs. And it was about how Pharaoh just, he couldn't let go for one more night. And I'm reminded that delayed obedience is disobedience. A lesson that was just ingrained in me as a a young believer, delayed obedience is disobedience. You see in Romans chapter six, verses one through four, Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we, who died to sin, live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death 
that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. You see, we can't continue in sin and call ourselves Christians. We need to repent. We need to have that conviction in our hearts. I'm reminded in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, in an, an acceptable time, I have heard you, says the Lord. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. See, don't wait. You don't have to go another night in your sin. You don't have to go another night and compromise another day the same way that Pharaoh didn't have to spend another day with the frogs. Continuing in verse 11, it says, And the frogs shall depart from you, from your houses, from your servants, and from your people. They shall remain in the river only. Then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, And Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs, which he had brought against Pharaoh. So the Lord did according to the word of Moses. And the frogs died out of the houses, out of the courtyards, and out of the fields. They gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said. Now, when you study the Egyptian religions, you'll find they had a goddess named Heket, whom they worshipped, who was portrayed with the head of a frog. Now, they, frogs were actually worshipped as this female goddess because they reproduced rapidly and they were around the Nile, which was this, this life-giving water. And because they were these amphibians living both in the water and on the land, they saw this as mystical, that they lived in two worlds. And because of this, they actually were not allowed to kill frogs. So get this, you got frogs everywhere. You got frogs in the pantries, frogs in the oven, that they had, probably didn't have yet. You got frogs in your drawers, frogs coming out of the bed, and you're not allowed to kill them. You just have to sweep them away, and you're just like probably freaked out by all these frogs jumping everywhere, going to give you warts. Now, there is an interesting similarity between the plagues and the Great Tribulation in Revelation. Now, these frogs... In Revelation chapter 16, verses 12 through 14, it says this, The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up, so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. 
for they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. So like frogs, these frogs, there are these spiritual demons. And I'm seeing this almost as a foreshadowing of what the Lord is allowing to happen to the world. As God is preparing to gather his chosen Israel to himself. And remember, in both cases, in the book of Revelation, God is redeeming Israel just as he's redeemed them here. Now, just as the rebellion will be great against the Lord in the tribulation, we recognize Pharaoh's rebellion is also great. He's hardening his heart. He's removing himself from conviction. And the more we see him remove himself from the conviction of the Lord, the easier it gets for him each time to say no to God. And that's true in our lives. The more we practice saying no to the Lord, the easier it gets. The more we practice disobedience, the easier it gets. So we need to pray and ask God to soften our hearts so they're not hard, so that they're not calloused. Look at verse 16. So the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the land so that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so. For Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and struck the dust of the earth. And it became lice on man and beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Now notice this plague, it came without a warning. Two plagues with warnings and the third one without. Verse 18, now the magicians so worked with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there were lice on man and beast. Now with all these lice on people, as the lice will dig into your skin and eat away and suck your blood, with all the lice on the people and on the animals, in the Egyptian religions and their ceremonies, this would all stop their worship ceremonies if they had lice everywhere. This is why. Similar to the Jews, the Egyptians, they needed to be ceremonially clean before entering the temple to practice their worship. And same with their animals that were going to be used for animal sacrifice. They were supposed to be ceremonially clean. So if there's lice now infecting man and infecting beast, all of the Egyptians, they were not ceremonially clean. And they would not be able to practice their temple worship. You see, I recognize that even the heathens rec- recognize that there is cleanliness, that there is morality. Now, before I came to know God as my personal Lord and Savior, to know Christ, I remember when I was 16, I began to, to dabble in, in darkness and drugs, and 
when I was in my youth group at church. And I ended up straying away from my Christian friends. I remember I would constantly get sick. And the Lord would miraculously, divinely, when I began to sin, he set it up so that I wasn't involved with being on stage in front of people ministering anymore through the Lord's sovereign hand. And, it, it, you know, that's a hard thing to, to admit at times. But God was chastening me. He was getting a hold of my life. And he started there. He was starting to, to pull me back to himself. And sometimes when I look back at that season of my life, I realize, man, I was sick a lot. I would always be sick. I would be partaking in communion on Sundays in an unworthy manner and throughout the week living like a heathen. Now, this is what I find interesting in hindsight. As I realized that the drugs that I was partaking in, they weakened my immune system so that I was naturally always getting sick. And I recognized that God was working supernaturally through the natural in my life. That God was chastening me, trying to get my attention to see, look, you're in a dark spot. Come back to the light. Now, not to go too far on a tangent, but there are also times when the Lord allows us to become sick, and it's not because of sin, but it's because we're in a fallen world. And the Lord is doing things beyond our understanding. In either situation, it's better to be abiding in Christ than to be without him. You can go through a situation with Christ or without him. There's some trials that we allow into our life because we allow sin in our life. And there's other trials that we go through in life because we're obedient to God. But the difference in the, in the latter is that you're with the Lord through it. And he strengthens you through it. And he's working out his ultimate good plan for you through it. When on the reverse, you're rejecting God's love. In verse 19, then the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart grew hard and he did not heed them just as the Lord had said. Now this is not an obstacle for God to overcome. God is not striving and he's not worried about Pharaoh He knew Pharaoh was going to harden his heart. He told Moses that Pharaoh was going to harden his heart. And this is exactly what's happening. You see, I'm reminded in my, the lives of my friends and family members who are lost, who have hardened their heart towards the Lord, that God knew that what they were going to do. And that God knows if they're going to get saved or not. And he knows exactly what he needs to do to save them. So I myself don't need to to worry about in my striving, in my own ways of how I'm going to save them. 
but I simply just abide in the Lord and let him do the work. This is no obstacle for the Lord. Look at verse 20. And the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh. As he comes out to the water, then say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me or else if you will not let them go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and on your servants, on your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. And in that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall be. Now in these verses, we recognize that the Lord is distinguishing the Egyptians apart from the Israelites. And I recognize that the Lord does distinguish. And he's going to do that. And in the final judgment, in Matthew, Matthew 25, verses 31 through 34, Jesus said that when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. You see, the Lord is going to separate. Sometimes it's hard for us to, to see that, to see that truth, that reality, that there is a hell. Remember, hell wasn't created with the intention to be for humans. It was created for Satan and his demons. But because of the fall of man, because Adam and Eve disobeyed the Lord and allowed the curse of sin to fall on all humanity, he has given us free will. And a loving God is not going to force anyone to accept him. A loving God is not going to force anyone to enter into eternity with him. It's a choice that we have to make through our obedience, through our faith in Jesus Christ. You see, God is a God of love. He is all love. He's all grace. He's all mercy. But he is all wrath. He is all justice. The attributes of the Lord. The Lord distinguishes. Now in verse 24, And the Lord did so. 
Thick swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh, into his servants' houses, and into all the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted because of the swarms of flies. Now, from verse 24, the original Hebrew, it doesn't specify what type of swarms these really were. We're not sure if they were flies, according to the Hebrew. It just says there is swarms, so some sort of swarm of some sort of bug. Whether it was flies or mosquitoes, we're not sure. I'm reminded, however, because all these swarms of flies or, or bugs coming in, I'm reminded of my time in Colombia. We got to go out there in, in the mission field, and it was awesome. The Lord did a great work. But there are these mosquitoes in Colombia who don't like white-skinned gentlemen like myself. And they were vicious. We felt as though they were literally a plague from the devil, that they were demonic mosquitoes with how vicious these mosquitoes were. And I remember uh, constantly putting insect repellent, the DEET, with like 100% max level of like radiation all over my skin, on my face, on my body, in order to keep those mosquitoes away. But it seemed like to them, they just felt like it was like seasoning because I would still get bit all the time. And then especially the worst part about it is I didn't apply any mosquito repellent underneath my socks because I felt mosquitoes definitely can't get that part. It's always covered underneath my socks. And lo and behold, that one spot that I didn't put mosquito repellent on, the mosquitoes just tore apart my ankles. Mosquitoes for days. Giant mosquitoes too. So I can't even imagine, begin to imagine the swarms of bugs and flies that were infesting and attacking these Egyptians, that it was a plague. I hate bugs. So the Egyptians now are having these swarms of flies. And in verse 25, Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God in the land. And Moses said, It is not right to do so, for we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. If we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, then will they not stone us? So Pharaoh here is offering Moses and Aaron a compromise. He's saying, look, you guys can go sacrifice to the Lord your God here in the land of Egypt. You guys don't need to go out to the wilderness. But Moses rejects this idea because he's saying, look, if we do that, your Egyptians are going to find our worship to be hypocritic and blasphemy, and they're going to stone us. It would be as if a Muslim saw somebody killing a pig in their mosque, or if in a Hindu temple somebody tried to slaughter a cow. The Egyptians would see it in that same manner and would become very upset that they were doing this there in the land of Egypt. So Moses is saying, look, you know we can't do this. And I'm noticing that Pharaoh's compromise to them is just how the enemy works. You see, he wants to make a compromise with you or you bend a little bit for him. 
He's going to tell you, look, it's okay. You can be Christian, but you don't have to read the Bible. You know, you just have your, your walk with the Lord. You're good. You don't need to read the Bible. That's compromise. Satan's going to say, look, it's okay. You can go to church, but don't be like so there every Sunday like these crazy Christians. Don't let church get in the way of sports and your recreation on Sundays. You don't want to go full Christian because you're going to look crazy. See, that's what Satan does in our life. He offers a compromise. But God calls us to completely submit our lives to him. He doesn't want just a part of our life. He wants our whole life. He wants us to completely submit. You see, whenever you see a move of the Spirit, you want to jump in both feet. Full blast, just surrender to the Lord. You can't have only a part of yourself saying yes to the Lord and everything else saying no. That's hypocritical. And it leads to all types of spiritual immaturity, which could lead to you turning completely away from the Lord. So Moses responds in verse 27, We will go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he will command us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you shall not go very far away. Intercede for me. See, Pharaoh here, he's moved emotionally, temporarily. I'm reminded how under times of calamity, people will turn for God's help. He sees, look, the water's blood. Lice are attacking us. There's been frogs and swarms of flies. We need to do something. We need, we need help. Let's turn to God because... He, he's obviously got some sort of power. And in a moment of, of brokenness, Pharaoh turns to God's help. But Pharaoh's heart is far from the Lord. See, often there are times when someone will have those emotional commitments to the Lord. I'm reminded of the parable of the sower. When Jesus was explaining to his disciples how the hearts of man can be, when Jesus talks about the seeds as they're being planted, the seeds of the gospel in people's hearts and people's minds, and yet there's times when people receive it and it bears much fruit. And there's times when people don't receive it. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus says this in Mark 4 verse 3. He says, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground, 
where it did not have much earth. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. So these were was this example that he gave them. And then he explains it to his disciples in Mark chapter 4, in verse 13. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises, for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things entertaining in, entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word accept it and bear fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. You see, there are degrees to which we can relate to these seeds. There's people who are very much like the first seed who when the gospel comes to them, they, don't re- they reject it outright. And in another sense, in our own hearts, in our own minds, there's certain messages that the Lord will send our way, and we completely reject it outright. The enemy just comes and sweeps it away. We're not paying attention. We don't listen. And there's times in our life when the message of the Lord, it's hindered by trials because we're not deep and rooted, invested in God. There's times when the word of the Lord is choked out by the cares of this life. But there are times when the word of God takes root in your heart and you grow. You become spiritually strong, spiritually mature. You see, Pharaoh is like that man in this portion who heard the word. But as soon as the cares of this life, as soon as things eased up, as soon as he was getting a little bit more of a comfortability, he turned away from God. Let's finish this chapter in Exodus. Verse 29, then Moses said, indeed, I am going out from you and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people. 
But let Pharaoh not deal deceitfully anymore in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart. At this time also, neither would he let the people go. So you see, Pharaoh, though he for a moment said, yes, go worship the Lord in a seemingly repentful heart, again, Pharaoh hardens his heart, rebelling against the Lord, backsliding. You see, backsliding isn't always so blatant and aggressive as we think it is. Sometimes we think someone backsliding is them just leaving the church, leaving the Bible and going into the world. That, that is backsliding. But that's not where backsliding starts. You see, backsliding can be like a marriage at times. You see, infidelity doesn't start, it doesn't begin in a sinful bedroom. Infidelity starts in the heart. You start to not pay attention to your husband, your wife. You start to entertain the idea of somebody who's not your husband or wife coming alongside of you. And that grows. It's not one day you just wake up in somebody else's bed. It's a progression. The same way I always relate to being on that surfboard out there in the water and when you paddle out and sometimes when the current's strong, you look back and you can't see your car anymore because you've drifted and you didn't even realize it. That's what backsliding's like. In Hebrews chapter two, verse one through three, it says, so we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard lest we may drift away from it. For the message God delivered through angels has always stood firm and every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? See, we need to hold fast the truth of the word of God, the Bible, every day, lest we drift away from it. In Revelation chapter 3, do you remember the church of Laodicea? John the Revelator writes in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, These things says the Amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. 
So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. See, the Lord doesn't want us to be in the middle. He doesn't want one foot in the church and one foot in the world to be divided, tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine. God actually prefers us to be rather cold than lukewarm because when we're cold, that means we're so far from the Lord. Many times it's when you're so far from the Lord that you finally are broken and come back to him. But because you're in this lukewarm state, you got too much of the world to enjoy the Lord. You have too much of the Lord to enjoy the world. You're torn. And Jesus says, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. He hates it. It's repulsive to him. In Revelation chapter 2, again, to the church of Ephesus, John writes, Nevertheless, this is the Lord speaking, Jesus, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. There is a heaviness to this passage of Scripture that we've gone through tonight. There is a reality that the Lord desires holiness amongst his people, amongst his church. But know this, if you're listening tonight and you're convicted, know that that's a good thing, that God loves you, that he loves you so much that he has allowed Jesus Christ to take on your sin by enduring the cross Enduring the suffering, enduring the humanity and the pain so that you don't have to. So that you can walk with him in a relationship, abiding and living that purpose-filled life to see the awesome wonders of the Lord, to obtain his hope, his love, his joy, his peace that goes beyond understanding in the situation that is a trial so that you can be prepared to enter into that heavenly realm one day where there is no more sin, no more suffering, no more weeping, no more pain. Jesus, King, you, his child, in an awesome relationship with the children of the Lord, worshiping God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace, your mercy. I ask for your Holy Spirit to lead and guide the hearts of those listening tonight. If tonight you have allowed compromise in your life and you want to ask the Holy Spirit to just give you his power to resist the compromises of the enemy. I want to pray for you. I want to pray with you. Lord Jesus, 
go before us this night. We confess, Father, that there's compromise in our hearts and our minds. Forgive us of our sins. May we submit and surrender fully and completely to you. May your Holy Spirit empower us to be like Jesus, to overcome temptation, to grow, to do those things, Father, that you've called us to each and every one individually. We love you, Father. Use us, we pray. May we have that upon experience of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. One more song. Sunday morning. We love you.